Producing Crime features conversations with influential thinkers in the police service and leading crime and policing researchers. Stein Reuter is a Dutch sociologist who specializes in environmental criminology and why crime happens where it does. We chat about translating policing research across national boundaries, and in particular, his role as research program leader for a new initiative, What Works in Policing, towards evidence-based policing in the Netherlands. All right, gold member. Don't play the laughing boy. <laughs> there are only two things I can't stand in this world. People who are intolerant of other people's cultures and the Dutch. Welcome to Reducing Crime. I'm Jerry Ratcliffe. Well, there's at least one point on which I can disagree with Austin Powers' father in that clip from Goldmember, and that's about the Dutch. They tend to be pretty cool. So it was nice to spend an hour or two in an English pub garden this last summer with my old friend Stein. Stein Reuter, and you can judge whether I pronounce that right in a minute, is a quantitative sociologist from the Netherlands, who's published extensively in both Dutch and English. Since 2009, he has worked at the Netherlands Institute for the Study of Crime and Law Enforcement, known by the Dutch acronym NSCR, and he is also a full professor at Utrecht University. His work focuses on geographic and environmental criminology and in understanding why crime happens where and when it does. At NSCR, he's also involved in testing policies and practices to prevent crime. His work has been funded by the Dutch Research Council, the Netherlands Ministry of Justice and Security, and the Netherlands Police. He's currently a research program leader for a new initiative, What Works in Policing?, towards evidence-based policing in the Netherlands, a collaboration between the Dutch Ministry of Justice and Security, the Netherlands Police, and NSCR. This last summer, we met at a conference in the English town of Harrogate, and it being a British town, it had a pub or three. So we found Hale's Bar, the oldest one in town, and settled in for an adult beverage, as you do, after a long day of academicing. Cheers, Cheers. Oh, that's good. Can't remember the last time I sat in a pub drinking a pint of bitter. It's been a while. Or going to a conference. Yeah, I know. Abroad. Right? Yes. These virtual conferences we had, but uh, other than that, I've stopped. Pretty much stopped doing virtual conferences. Yeah, I, I hate it. You have to do all the work without the benefits. Yeah, none of it. No, you just set to stare at a camera. You don't get to see any of the audience. You're going to hang out with people afterwards. You don't get any interaction with questions afterwards. And there's no going to the pub. You just kind of switch the camera off and go back to doing what you were doing. And the sucks. conferences are, even though many people think it's about the presentation and the exchange of ideas, uh, it's uh, also <laughs> about meeting up with people to make new plans. And, and that's better over a beer and than it is, or GT in my case. There we go. <laughs> So you managed to get away from work? Uh, we, we consider this work, right? <laughs> <laughs> Touche. It's part of the job. Cheers again then. Cheers. <laughs> Here we are, academics working hard. So sessions are over. For today. For, for today. today. And um, so we have a drink. Okay, before we start, help me out. First of all, tell me your name. Stein. Stein. Ruiter. Ruiter. Yeah. The, the Ruiter. R in the, in the, at the start and the R in the end. Stein. Ruiter. Yeah. Dutch will, people will recognize that, but... Tell me about NSCR and how long you've been there. It's actually a Dutch acronym for the Netherlands Institute for the Study of Crime and Law Enforcement, which is a research institute, a national research institute. So it's not a university, it's not a department. 
It's research only. It originally set up 30 years ago on the initiative of the Ministry of Justice, who wanted a research institute with more fundamental questions on, on crime and, and, and law enforcement, long-term research rather than short-term policy only. How does that work with your policing colleagues? This so is that... 30 years ago. Okay. 30 years ago, the idea of the Ministry of Justice, which has its own research department, aimed at answering policy questions like, okay, in Parliament, question arises, the minister needs to okay. answer, and the research department answers those questions. So they're the short-term, shit's hit the fan, we need an answer on this thing now. Yes. 30 years ago, criminology or crime research had disappeared virtually in the Netherlands. And at the ministry, they thought we want independent research with more fundamental research questions in the Netherlands. So they reached out to the Dutch Science Council to set up this institute. Oh, great. I've joined it in 2009, coming from a sociology department. That's okay. I won't hold that against you. You know, we're, you know we're drinking buddies. <laughs> on the law enforcement side of things, how's that working out? Because I know you're now working on an initiative to, yeah. to think about yeah. expanding the knowledge base in policing. It's actually interesting because NSCR, the R in Dutch is law enforcement. What's the Dutch word? Rechtshandhaving. Yeah, I'm not going to pronounce that. No. <laughs> uh, but the C is crime. So NSCR as an institute is really uh, seen as a criminological institute, but very much quant-oriented research. Yeah. So even though we have like the full gamut, but the impression it, it has to many is uh, like, oh, that's uh, a lot of stats. And I'm a quantitative sociologist, criminologist. I knew there was one somewhere. Found you. Yes. <laughs> so at the institute, we have been doing a lot of crime research using police data, right? right? Yeah. So we receive all the, 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 the wealth of data from these agencies and then we analyze crime, often actually with an interest to understand criminal decision-making, like offender decision-making, also testing theories about offender decision-making. Well, especially, I know a lot of your work and mm -hmm. it's in, as probably what I wanted to talk to you, because a lot of it's really neighborhood-based, it's yeah, about yeah, opportunities. Or grand, uh, like, yeah, yeah, down to the streets and yeah, corners exactly. and that kind of yeah. stuff. Yeah. It all has a real practical policing flavor to you it because so. that's where policing operates. It's a, exactly. it's a corner, it's a neighborhood, it's a street, it's a block exactly. issue. So we have been using police-recorded crime data for understanding crime problems, where it concentrates, why it concentrates there, but how police react to this. We haven't really studied much. There's a lot of interest in crime studies in itself. And I'm also on the fence. I like fundamental scientific understanding. And I think actually good theory has practical value. You need to understand the mechanisms to be able to address problems. You're going to blow the minds of a few people just by saying that they actually oh, need yeah. to understand. I mean, most theories are, are kind of useless, but there are a few key theories that are really worth knowing. Grand theory, maybe not, but mechanisms that, right. that drive mechanisms. the problem, right? The, um, a better understanding. Why on this corner and not two blocks exactly. away? Yeah. yeah. Why, why is there crime here and not a couple of blocks away or in the next street? Yeah. yeah and ultimately, it's the offender who decides where to commit the offense. It's well, not it, the neighborhood wanting to be victimized. So you need some understanding of offender decision making. A large part of the research of my colleagues at the Institute have been involved with that, but it has this practical value to police. They do hotspot maps and, and what have you, and they also should want to know why crime concentrate where it does in order to be most effective. So what's been the receptivity of your police colleagues? We always had really good contacts with certain police departments. 
the Netherlands is slightly differently organized. And for example, in the US, the police departments tend to be really local. What, what makes you think the US is organized? No, 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 no. In terms of <laughs> the idea of being organized, come on. Yeah, no, but the US have, have many departments. We actually currently have only one. Yeah, that's uh, in the last 10 years. You've yeah, 2013. Right. So we used to have large units and they merged into one force or uh, in the Netherlands we say police service rather than force. Of course. That's a good idea. How's that working out? Obviously this was actually such a big change. People had to be shifted to different places, different positions inside this organization and you have higher management like chief is far removed from city level problems. Right. So it's a longer chain of command and uh, it's still a hierarchical organization like it is everywhere. Do you think that's been beneficial? In some ways and in, other, in others it's not. For me, yeah. it has been beneficial in that it also led to like standardization of, for example, data, right? They're using the same sorts of systems throughout the entire Netherlands. Do you think it's made Holland safer? I'm skeptical about that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Anything to do with policing. Healthy yeah, skepticism is no, no, yeah, not no, a bad idea. Yeah, this is, uh, so police do their best at trying to address problems. However, and we see this in many countries, police remain very reactive, rapid response. Is that very effective ultimately to address crime problems? I don't know. But that's not the whole of policing. No, exactly. But it's still better than having 18,000 departments. <laughs> yeah, but the <laughs> Netherlands are a small country, so we used to have 25 forces. And you thought 25 was too many. And that's in, hilarious. In, no, no, no. In the 80s, we had municipal police and federal police. And then we had these 25 and it was now merged into one service. But clearly you still have the old units also with their own practices. I know you're trying to work on a project to get people thinking within law enforcement in the Netherlands about evidence-based policing. Mm -hmm. How's that going? Yeah, it's great. This is an initiative which is a collaboration between the Ministry of Justice, Netherlands Police and NSCR to set up a program so that we can have staff to do research projects with police, not just from our ivory tower, but literally with police. It's really a program which has a, a subtitle towards evidence-based policing in the Netherlands. You don't have to get there. <laughs> well, no, yeah, but, but I think EBP in general, we're all working towards. It's all about the journey, man. It's all about the yeah, journey. No, yeah, but we say, I don't know whether this translates well in English, uh, like a dot on the horizon where we try to go and, and... I think you mean you hope there's a light at the end of the tunnel and with a bit of luck it's not a train coming straight towards you at speed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, there, there, there might be trains <laughs> <laughs> for some projects. Uh, I mean, plenty of obstacles. So this is one of the benefits of this national police uh, service. But they did the same thing in the UK, even though they have 43, 44. Yeah. It's just we don't have that kind of level of thing in the, in the US. So what's the goal? Is it to try and help people learn what evidence-based policing is? No, do it also. Okay. Like, yeah, no, no, I mean, okay. you need to do you, it. You, you also need to learn it, but we do synthesize research like you have in systematic reviews of literature, so that's a part. How much of that is doing your own reviews and how much of that is simply translational work? I mean, um, most, most of it's written in English. Yes. And I, I know you struggle with the English language. You're mm -hmm. only just getting the hang of it. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> People than, might have than, noticed by now. Yeah. yeah, it's better than half the English speakers I know. 
I mean, you're obviously completely no, confident and familiar in the literature, but that's not going to be the situation across the board in the country, no, even though the Netherlands is one of the most educated countries I've ever been in. But Yeah, so clearly there are these resources out there, uh, mainly in English, like you say, the College of Policing, What Works Centre uh, in the UK. They, yep. in the UK uh, the initiative of Cynthia Lum in uh, George Mason, right? Like, like these. The Matrix. The, the Matrix, stuff, indeed. Yep. All these initiatives are simply out there to synthesize existing knowledge. Like, look, we know this is effective, or this is promising, or this is, this doesn't work. This backfires, and these are in English. So I don't expect Dutch cops to read. Uh, uh, this. There was a long pause there. It's like you don't expect Dutch cops to read English or you don't expect no, Dutch no, cops to read. To read. <laughs> yeah, no, no. Uh, well, right? That translational activity yeah. really needs to happen. The things that I write for academic journals, boring to them. Boring to you, maybe. Not at all. I find them fascinating. Okay. Everything you write is just super. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like my work is absolutely yeah, yeah, fascinating. Yeah, yeah. Totally. You've, you've read I'm, every one of my articles, right? Yeah. yeah and books. <laughs> I do quote them, uh, or I point police decision makers towards these sort resources. And they do read English, so... It's annoying. The Dutch cops, to me, are very much like the Scandinavian cops. Oh, yeah, which language do you want to talk in today? That's, you know... For Dutch, preferably. Dutch, preferably, right. <laughs> but then they'll throw in some, yeah, the European language or, or English, like English. Yeah, English yeah. is in Europe, you know what I mean? But it's like the Scandinavians, you know? You run into the random kind of street cop and they're like, oh, yeah, I'll do English or Norwegian and Swedish, whatever you want. It's, it's just a different level of education and in terms of linguistics that's expected. It's, it's always humbling. But you know what they say, don't you, right? If yeah, you, yeah. If you speak three languages, you're trilingual. If you speak two languages, you're bilingual. And if you speak one language, you're English. Or French. <laughs> I mean, so I just the... lost all my French listeners. Yeah, like, I know. All, uh, all four of them, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, but back to the translational activity. I'm not going to redo the Matrix. I'm not going to redo the bubble plot of the, uh, the Wattworks uh, Center. Uh, what we will do, though, is for each project that we do, we generally start with a systematic review of the literature with search criteria and a double coding and all that. Do we have this body of knowledge? What's in it? And only then we turn to our own empirical research. Evidence-based policing is not only about this affects that, or we have this intervention, does it work? What's the effect of an intervention? It's also about getting a better understanding like a, of a phenomenon, uh, a crime phenomenon, or some other problem, and descriptive research. This is a rigorous approach to mm -hmm. it. I love everything you're talking about. What's been the receptivity of your police colleagues, especially people working frontline in policing, to this kind of level of effort to look at topics it varies right some love it and literally call me up send me a whatsapp message like look uh, we totally excited i want to do another uh, rct with you before we even finished previous one people actually do that yeah yeah but yeah it's <laughs> never been my experience that does just something about when i run projects yeah right? it's a former student of mine though <laughs> <laughs> okay no but this helps i mean it's a relational thing also but what's the general level of understanding of evidence-based policing, would you say, in the police in the Netherlands? Well, the police, it's an organization of 65,000 people in the Netherlands. And it's not a profession. Frontline officers, do they really read up 
I don't think so. It's more of a job yet. It's not. It's a job. It's, it's not yet become. No, but the sense of a profession. Uh, we're working towards it. Do you think this is the right balance then? A little bit of synthetic review and then pushing forward to actually doing real projects. I'm just trying to figure out what the lessons are for people who want. There aren't many people out there with police departments with 65,000 employees, but the principles are the same. <laughs> I can't think of any right now. What have you learned about how to get evidence-based policing up and running, improving people's understanding and getting projects working? It's early days for us. Right, but you haven't been shut down yet, right? No, no, but we haven't been evaluated yet also. <laughs> it's a five-year thing. There's an extension clause for an extra five. So it is actually, a, to them and to us, a long-term investment. I think that's needed. I once spoke to Mark Evans in mm -hmm. New Zealand. He said to get real change going, mm -hmm. to move from one position to where something like evidence-based policing becomes normalized, takes at least five years. Where are the struggles? We signed this, this agreement and then you need to go from, okay, but now we have this pot of money and how do we spend it on a concrete project? You could think of a million projects, right? Where police deal with... But yeah, it's not just crime, right? No, not at all. And it might be my bias because I sort of start from crime criminology, crime studies, in reading about EBP or EBP research that, it, that gets published. I see a lot of crime and frontline policing, patrolling, and all these experiments that I, I, you, you, I, you've been involved in. Yeah, I mean, I like working on projects that actually help the frontline guys and girls out. Yeah, but the frontline guys and girls don't all only deal with crime. Right? Exactly, exactly. Right. So, so. I'm working on a project right now that's all about working with the vulnerable population. Yeah, and at this conference, we're, we'll be presenting research that sort of tries to replicate one of your studies. Calls for service, what are they about? what types of problems and how much time gets spent on addressing these problems. Yeah. I think you found f roughly 50% in Philadelphia is crime related and then there's health related and oh, community related. And it's a mishmash of things yeah. that seem to have no commonality to them. You can put them in broad categories, but it's very generalized. Yeah, but have police received training to address these problems? Oh, good grief, no. No, there no. you go. So that's not to say they don't do a good job. But it's very much learning on the job, how to deal with people with mental health problems, how to deal with people in homelessness, so, stray I mean, animals for crying out no, loud. Yeah. Just by just showing this in with numbers, I mean, yeah. that's our business. It's a good start. You could show, look, yeah, they deal with crime, but also this, this and this. It's also a starting point to, to get the discussion going like, oh, do we need to train them to address crime problems? I know that you're also working not just with criminology types, but people from a range of disciplines. Yes. How's yes. that working out? Yeah, that's great. Criminology itself is not a discipline, right? It, people are very undisciplined, yes. No, that I... <laughs> true. <laughs> but, but there are geographers. Jolly good. Quite right, too. Sociologists. Oh, well, that's okay. <laughs> people with law background, psychology. I mean, the humanities and social sciences, and it's all there, right? Data science and computer yeah, data, people? Data science, computer computer science. So we had this senior researcher position and uh, we had an applicant from human movement sciences. Human movement is a science? Yeah, oh, yeah I mean, science. yeah, it makes well, sense. No, but, right. but they mainly study sports and how to perform under pressure. But you see the analogy there, right? Yeah. So she had already been involved with research projects, also with the police academy, training for performing under pressure. When she applied, like, yeah, that's interesting. There's some really interesting ways to take something like that for critical instant work or just for simple interactions with people that, yeah. you know, go well or go south. Yeah. 
so there is some research out there on performing, but that research is then often on individual performance in training sessions, but police work is often teamwork. So that complicates it. How do you deal uh, with challenging situations as a team? Well, it's funny that you say that because I was at an incident where an officer was dealing with somebody from the vulnerable community who clearly had some behavioral health challenges going on. And she was doing a great job. A sergeant turned up, just took the wrong approach. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and pulled rank, so started getting involved when the lead officer should have been left to deal with it. Mm -hmm. And it went south after that, and the guy ends up in handcuffs on the floor. For And I'm looking at this going, there was absolutely no need for this to end up in this manner. Yeah. Okay, they are going to start bringing in uh, beer barrels right behind you. I think we'll have to pause this for a moment. Hold yeah, on. Yeah, that's okay. Well, it's time to catch up with a drink. I mean, we can't sit in a beer garden and not drink, so... Yeah, mine's almost empty. <laughs> <laughs> right, we'll, we'll take this as an opportunity for refill. Hold on. <laughs> Do you want another drink? Yeah, please. Yeah, why not? Fuck it. I'll pick on the beer barrels. There was a small interlude here where they wheeled in more beer barrels. Now look, I'm not saying that our conference drank so much that we were responsible for exhausting the town's beer supply, but I'm not saying we weren't responsible for it either. So, uh, cheers to round two. Slangeva. Cheers. Last behind the bar was telling me this place has been a pub since 1766. Wow. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Oldest pub in Harrogate. Yeah. This one? Yeah. We found our spot. Yeah. I know. Right round the corner. Handy that. What were we talking about? Where were we before uh, the beer barrels arrived? Yeah, I've talked to French academics about policing in France and, you know, you and I have spoken to French academics and German academics and people in Scandinavia. It seems like mainland continental European policing seems to be lagging behind in terms of adoption of an evidence-based, data-driven, kind of intelligence-led movement a mm. little bit more than some agencies appear to be in sort of Canada, Australia, New Zealand. Yeah, it's very Anglo-American. Yeah, it's I, an English-speaking thing, English right? English-speaking thing. I mean, is it just because people have not been exposed to it because it's not their primary language? I, Which would be fair. No, I, but the ideas are universal. You don't need to be able to read English to understand that in order to find out whether something works or is effective. Part of the antagonism that I have got encountered, no, it's ex experiments. No, it's not only experiments. No, so so that, there's that. Yep. But there's also new public management again. We need to measure everything and put in stats. And like ultimately, it's about dealing with the problems. And maybe the, you need to be interested in the problem and whether the problem is reduced. Right. But in new public management, it is about how many arrests were made. What's and what? some antagonists actually bring this up. Now, we shouldn't do this because you're the data guy, right? You'll present again the wrong figures. You've hit on something that's so often lost, which is we really do want to focus on outcomes, outcomes. the impact on the community yeah. and the public. And you need and to know the, the effort uh, also. Sure. And how much work is done is, is good to know, but that's not the end of the story. Knowing what the outputs are, how many arrests have been made is not yeah, the end of the story. Yeah, but these are easily measurable yeah. often. And, and also crime is relatively easy to measure. Has this been an easy sell to people? Has it been easy to help people understand that gulf between outputs compared to the, what we really want is outcomes? Yeah, I'd, if you sit down and explain, look, we are not in the business of just presenting numbers and 
pointing fingers like it went wrong. What academics are often also blamed for, at least in the Netherlands, like in policing studies from the ivory tower, looking at police, criticizing police. No, Extern it's actually, it's actually jointly learning. Externally without really appreciating the context. Yeah. Is it common for academics in the Netherlands to go on ride-alongs and to really work closely with well, police? Well, some do, some don't. Uh, I think we should, and ride-alongs or just sit at the police station. For example, this is an, an interesting project that will be soon, uh, soon starting. Citizens come with their problems to police, right? They report a problem. I'm familiar with that. Yeah. Either it's an emergency, then you call 112 in the Netherlands non-emergency different phone number like 311 in the US and then you say yeah there's something happened burglary the offender is long gone yeah. you, you return after a weekend away so it's not an emergency yeah. uh, anymore so you want to report a crime they say well come to uh, to the station we'll file a crime report that's the start of criminal justice and everything in criminal justice follows first and that yeah formally requesting the public prosecutor's office to look into this problem. And whether they do, that's another decision. I mean... Uh... There's only so many agencies we can fix one at a time, okay? Yeah, 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 no, sure. The problem might be that burglary, and then the crime gets reported and that's a start, but it might also be of a completely different nature, the problem. Like fight with the neighbor. Is that best addressed with a criminal justice response? Or should we think of alternative responses to this problem? If the knee-jerk response or the only response possible is we file a crime report, it's a start of criminal justice. Right. Also, what are the expectations of this citizen reporting that problem? Do they want the problem solved? What do they want? I don't reject the notion that we should consider other agencies, but I also don't accept the notion that other agencies will necessarily perform that much better than sending the police, because I've seen the police. Mm -hmm over the last 30 to 40 years, attending a whole range of social issues that weren't crime problems mm. and not necessarily doing a bad job. So I keep an agnostic open mind about this because I think the assumption that some kind of social service agency will automatically be better than the police, I would prefer to test that rather than just make any assumptions about no, it. No, no, sure. Criminal justice response is filing a crime report, maybe criminal investigations, maybe we find a suspect, maybe we prosecute. Yeah. But if the problem is of a different nature, maybe you need to more like a restorative justice kind of approach. Right, you're doing some work on restorative justice well, with a police colleague. We try to set you? up this, if the behavioral alternative of the front line, uh, the front desk of the police station is filing crime reports, then you will never get to restorative justice because you're already in the criminal justice and it's... Can't you divert to a restorative justice process? No? We're trying to set up this study where we experimentally vary whether the police actually sort of informs the citizen about this restorative justice option. Like, look, there's this uh, restorative justice option. And there's actually an organization that does the mediation work. Is that on contract you, or did you create them? It's actually full of volunteers who, uh, who are trained to do these. So the organization exists. But whether the citizen knows that this is actually also an option, rather than see someone in court, that might actually resolve the conflict or better address the problem than the court, right? And we don't know. It, it might be worse. It could make things worse. Exactly sure. right. It, yeah. it might be worse, but we currently don't know. So my champion in the Dutch police, who is a police officer, 
he wants to test this. Give him a shout out. Yeah, yeah. So it's Ruben Boomsma. He's excited about this idea and to do more EBP. Good for Ruben. Time for a quick drink break because yes. I've got to be honest with you, this hand-pulled bitter is very good. Nice. Enjoy it. You're also doing some work on looking at body-worn camera footage and CCTV, looking at police interactions. Yes. Well, the team is, right? Like in the research group, we have researchers that will look at these citizen police situations. What happened in the situation, whether it uh, got violent or whether de-escalation worked, uh, like techniques work. And it's great that there's so much footage now. As a fly on the wall, observe how, how it unfolds. And body-worn cameras are universal? No, uh, there are many. Enough to make the project work? Yeah. So it's body-worn camera, CCTV footage, and then literally looking at these situations play out. Whereas in old days, you had to rely on how it was reported, how it was oh, yeah. written up, which has all its biases. And now, as an external uh, observer, as a fly on the wall, we can sort of code what happens and try to learn which is awesome. It's time consuming though, like coding second by second video footage. Well, one thing I have been impressed by is how diligent you are about being rigorous about the science. I noticed this because there's a project you're working on. Not only did you pre-register the research with the Open Science Foundation on their website, you also tweeted about it simply just to put it out there. Yeah. So this why, is our commitment. To open science. Yeah. Why is this commitment to open science important to you? In science, it shouldn't be about the next publication. <gasps> heresy, heresy. Yeah, no. <laughs> Ultimately, we, we're, academic we're, we're cancelled for that. <laughs> we're trying to... Stop trying get, to change the world. You need to publish more. <laughs> yeah, or less. <laughs> but better research. Cheers to Cheers. that. So, pre-registration is part of the open science principles. You basically specify how, what you will do, how you will investigate, and, and stick to it. But then how do you cheat afterwards and fiddle the data? You don't. But this is also because it's, it's a huge problem that there is only positive evidence, only. Look, we found it works. Where are all the publications of all these great initiatives that backfired or that didn't work oh, yeah. in the file drawer? All if the fantastic ideas that people had that just crash and burn. Yeah, no, but yeah. with good intentions. Yes. That's, that's the learning. That's a really key part. We have to start normalizing that it's okay to fail. <laughs> I just said that right in the middle of your gin and tonic, sorry about it. Yeah, no, you answer right. the question while I'll drink my bitter. Yeah, 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 yeah. You're absolutely right. And I think you, you often make this uh, comparison to aviation, right? Like. It's a bad thing to fail at when you're flying, yeah. Yeah, but you have tested parts of the plane or the motor or whatever. That has all been tested, without which it wouldn't fly. Yeah. And the same should apply uh, to policing or to interventions in the social realm. That might be one of the challenges as, as we move forward. We have to figure out how to almost reward failure. We need to reward innovation and trying things mm -hmm. and be okay with failure. And I think in too many places, people are scared to try things in case they don't work. And that's simply ask about face. Yeah, and so I'm in the science part of this business, right? I collaborate with police and we just want to find out. And finding out the answer could be, well, it doesn't work or it needs to be tweaked or in this context it works and in the other it doesn't or it backfires. It's all an answer to the question. We tried. 
Yeah. And we failed or we tried and we were succe successful. It's all fine. I'm agnostic. I'm, uh, there's no normative necessarily. Like you first want to know. And if the aim is to reduce crime problems or other societal problems, yeah, that's a great aim. Let's work towards it. But not every good initiative that you think is good will work. And we need to write that up. That's the part, isn't it? That, because people go into it with the best of intentions. Yeah. I mean, nobody starts a project thinking, you know what, let's try this project because it's absolutely going to fail. No, that won't work. Yeah, but you need to write this up. Yes. And that's, that's hardly done. So, pre-registration... And we have to be okay with it being, I really wanted this to work, but you know what, it didn't, and I'm going to let everybody know that it did. Yeah, because then the neighbors don't have to try again. Right. Or they might, because they're, they're in a different uh, context, and it, it, it might work in another context. And we have to sure. celebrate those people. We, yes. have to, we have to make a space for them to go, hey, guess what, I tried this, and it fell catastrophically. Thank you. You have contributed to the science of that. Yeah, so, so, uh, so we actually, again, with Ruben, um, we, good for Ruben. Yeah, good for Ruben. Yeah. So he wanted to do this focus deterrence project in his police department. In Dutch, we, we call it stopgesprek, which is basically a, a chat to stop, right? Like these, these offenders need to stop. You make it sound so much nicer than in English. It's, it's just stop. I sell chat. Would you mind kind of cutting that kind of nonsense out? Would you mind? It's just a <laughs> stop talk. So I said, well, in Sacramento, there was this experiment where they basically rolled the dice. Who gets the treatment? Who doesn't? Yep. And uh, after a year, they looked at the recidivism rate. Very promising results there. Oh, and that's good to hear. Yeah, so in Sacramento. So we sort of tried to replicate the design. And I mean, you need, you need to translate stuff to the Dutch context. But that makes sense. try to replicate it as much as possible. And in September, October, we will find out, right? Like, we, the intervention's been done. Let me shift forward so I'm on the edge of my seat. There yeah. Will this show similar results? We don't know. You mentioned the community, and our particular community of fellow conference goers are all back at the uh, hotel bar having a drink. So uh, we probably should get back to join them. Yeah, that uh, sounds like a smart move. So what's next for you, mate? The focus deterrence experiment hasn't even finished yet, right? We don't know the results yet. And then Ruben reaches out like, let's try and do the restorative justice experiment to randomize them into offering restorative justice response. That's the next thing. And I think that's the key to what's really exciting about NSCR, because I've worked with you guys at NSCR and Hank Elfers mm -hmm. and Wim Benasco and yourself for, for a number of years. And you just have this close relationship, not only to the data, but also the people working with the data. And that's, I think you're in a fantastic position. It's going to be great. Looking forward to seeing what you're getting up to. I'll try to pre-register and publish. Ah, there so you, go. you can read it. And coming out and joining me for a wee drink. Yeah. Cheers, mate. Cheers. Honestly, that is a good point. What is it? Calamity Brown. I know, you can't, but you're on gin and tonic. Yeah, yeah it's a, a Dutchman. Good gin that's and right. Tonic. Yeah, yeah, there you go. <laughs> that was episode 52 of Reducing Crime, recorded in Harrogate, England, in June 2022. Visit reducingcrime.com/podcast for episode transcripts as well as links to Stain's research. New episodes are announced on Twitter at underscore reducing crime, and I personally lurk at Jerry underscore Ratcliffe. Don't forget the underscores. Subscribe to this podcast at Spotify, SoundCloud, Apple, or basically wherever you pod, so you don't miss an episode. Be safe, and best of luck. Reducing crime.